Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and CFRC, so thank you very much. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I'd like to introduce you to Daphne Brower, who is doing a PhD in cultural studies under the supervision of Dr. Will Kimlicker. Welcome to Grad Chat, Daphne. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. You are very welcome. And I see you've got a little service friend there. Uh, yeah, I got a little 85-pounder of a service dog with me today, whose <laughs> <laughs> name is Jane. is perfect. I wish we could all have service dogs with us oh, because yeah, I think sure. I would get a lot more work done. Or maybe not. I it would make us done. happier, at least, doing our work. It would make us yeah. happier. So it's great to have him here, and he's behaving very well because he knows he's only allowed to stay in a certain area, <laughs> which, is, which is nice for us. Now, Daphne, you're an international student from the Netherlands. Yeah, correct. Why Canada and why Queens? Well, that starts off with a sad romantic story, actually, to oh, be really? honest. Yeah, so I came here to Queens seven years ago on exchange from the university that I was doing there, Leiden University. I was doing my bachelor's, and they offered a program here or at McGill. And as my French isn't very good, I chose to come to Queens. So that, <laughs> That's that was, a good enough reason. It was a good reason. Um, it turned out really well. And during my exchange, I fell in love with a Canadian so uh, after that, went back home, finished my bachelor's, and I applied for a master's here, thinking I was going to do it in immigration studies. That's what I was focusing my bachelor's on. Then I came here, relationship didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Oh, no. <laughs> master's also didn't turn out the way I thought it would. <laughs> so not only did I get my heart broken, I also switched my research topic luckily fell in love with another topic yes, and I understand you're getting married very shortly I am getting married next week so, so we really did it well you did <laughs> and that's awesome news to hear we love hearing that yeah no so in the end changed my research topic uh, with the wonderful help of a professor here at Queen's who inspired me to do so found new supervision and everything went well Oh, that's really good. They're the kind of things I like to hear. <laughs> I know, it's nice once you hit your fifth year, I feel like we're getting more confident that we're actually doing our research and right. we're settled in, we know what we're doing. I'm also wrapping up, so that helps a lot. That does help because yeah. it is a long process. I don't think people realise how long it can be. And, of course, we've had a pandemic in the middle of all of that as well, which which doesn't help. But it was only last week, of course, we had convocation, which one of my favourite times of the year when we have convocation. So I got to see a lot of our grad students who I know it's been a bit difficult, but there they were crossing the stage. So I know it's going to be you soon. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I remember graduating here for my master's and how pretty that ceremony yes. was. And I was actually very mean. I hadn't invited my parents because I didn't want to be in the limelight. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, mom. Uh, my mom was very offended. Uh, but so they're very excited. Once I get to graduate, they get to come. They kind of see Grand Hall. Grand Hall. And you'll be in your red robes and the little oh, hat. Oh, the real famous outfit. Yes. Like you just, you have to. You do have to yeah, wear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. if it's just for the pictures. Yeah, exactly. You, you'll want to, you'll want to well, wear it. Well, I know it. for myself, 
it's easy to find the PhD students graduating yes. than it is the masters. So oh yeah, and really at least for PhD out. we all wear the same color, which is yes. nice because I remember for my masters we all had different colors for the faculty, so we all got very confused of like who's doing what and what are we and, and... when to stand up. Oh my gosh, it's so much. <laughs> so, it's yeah, so much. PhD is much easier. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to calling your name out oh. when it's when it's your turn. Oh, so am I. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we that finally like made a, it. A little bit of relief there. <laughs> so what with that and getting married and you know got your beautiful dog there Jay and it's all it's all going well for you. It's it's going really well. Yeah. No, it's it's wonderful and it's great to do it here at Queens. It's nice to be here in Canada with it. It's all been going smoothly and especially with the pandemic it's been difficult being an international student. I I've been lucky my department has been helping me getting jobs. I've been working here at Queens the whole time through. Um so good. I've always been able to have jobs here, which has been really good that's for sustaining myself. That's kind of also helps you with your other soft skills and things learning along the way, which Absolutely. is really important for our students. They don't always realize what skill set you have, but you have more than just the research. You have a lot of things there. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And in ways that you find out that you didn't think you had it. Well, one of those extra jobs that you've been doing, which I know you've been doing, is you've been helping with our blog called Gratifying and written some pieces there to give um, perspectives of being an international student. Why did you want to do the blog other than being an international student to showcase different parts? So it was interesting. So when I saw the call being put out, so you, we, we always get this wonderful newsletter and it's lovely because you get to hear a little bit of what's going on, but you mm -hmm. also get the opportunities with it. Yes. Which I've always really taken because it's a great way to get mingle in with the community here and, and it's a good way to learn more about what's going on. And one of the things that stood out for me in the blog post up until then is that there was some perspective of international students, but it was not as much on the mental right yes aspect. and mm -hmm. that to me has been so important it's been very important for me with my students it's been very important for me in my own life it's something I've struggled with a lot it's something I've got a lot better with right that's good that's <laughs> um, good and I, I I'm lucky right because I have Jay and Jay yes. is fantastic to have around it helps other people normally to have Jay around yes. with me uh, it has helped my students a lot to have Jay around with me but what I really wanted to bring in was an extra voice looking into that combination of how is it where you're not near your family? How is it when you don't know how a country works? Mm -hmm. The first time I had to apply for a SIN number and I was called out because my SIN number started with a different number than what it does for Canadians. So I was different. Uh, yes. And to have all those experiences, like how does it actually feel? And like, how does it work? And how do you deal with all that? So that was really important for me to do. And I, I just like to write. Well, you, <laughs> write very, you write very well, so it's kind of helpful. <laughs> but I'd love some of your perspectives. Like you said, you know, mental, your mental balance is really, really important. So um, important. You can bring some really interesting thoughts and advice there, which is part of what the blog is about, is to give advice to new grad students coming in or even those that are there thinking, have you thought about this and, and that? Well, and that's it. So a lot of the things that I put in the blogs are just things I personally experienced. Mm -hmm. And that's just things, uh, whether you want to or not, you experience yes. them. <laughs> but the great thing with it is that you learn a lot of things here at Queen's that can actually help you. True. Because initially when I got here, I felt very lost. I didn't know what was going on. And when I was stuck, I didn't know where to go. Yeah. And there's all these things that just happen to you. And you, you don't know where to go with it. Uh, and I was lucky because I met an occupational therapist here at Queen's. And they helped me a lot with it. Right. And then afterwards, I managed to help my students with things and that was really rewarding to mm -hmm. see when you come from a position where you struggled so much 
that you can actually develop and improve yourself so much. Like yes. You can strengthen yourself so much that you get to that point. You're like, hey, you know what? I'm not brilliant. In no but. way there. But there's some advice I can give. Yes. Don't take it. You don't have to. But like, here it is. And I think the important thing there, Daphne, is, I mean, I can espouse all those sorts of things about use this service and that service and have you thought about this and that. But I'm seen a, being seen as an administrator. It resonates a lot more if it's student to student. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that's a big part of it too. I feel like also in the academic world, it's very good to have it in the teaching environment. Mm-hmm. And Queen's is slowly improving on that, which yep. is brilliant. But really to have that recognition, like we need to talk about it in all levels. We do. And, and it's beautiful when it comes from the administrative side because that opens doors for a lot of people. Because for me, I can speak about it, but that mm-hmm. obviously doesn't get me anywhere yet. Right. So but. if those doors aren't there, open for by administrators, yeah. then obviously we don't have any way to go. But now we can slowly start getting things Same. ready for students, which is brilliant. Which is nice. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. I've seen a lot of changes over the last 15 years and all, all in the right direction, yeah. which I think is important oh, for yeah. everyone. Well, thank you for that. So I guess we should actually talk about your research, <laughs> seeing as that's why it's here. It's called Grad Chat. So your research topic is the cultural perception of liminal animals in Western and non-Western cultures. So before we go into the beautiful questions that we've got here, can you give us a bit of an overview of what you mean by that or what you're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, liminal animals is a category. People will be familiar with the word liminal, but when we talk about animals and animal studies, it has a specific meaning because liminal animals are those animals that are around us. They are in our living environment but we don't really domesticate them. Yeah, we don't interact as much with them. We don't interact as much with them, but they're not domesticated in the sense we don't control their breeding. We don't often have them voluntarily in our house, and they're also not wild animals. So they're not the animals that we consider to live out in the jungle, uh, which is how we often like to describe them. Or here in Canada, they're out in the wild. They're up north, they're in the forest, and and all those descriptions. So limo animals, you can think of are foxes, they're pigeons, they're rats. And when we go uh, like away from the Western world, you can think about tigers, elephants, and oh, those are animals as well. Yeah, but okay. those are animals we often think of in the Western world as wild. Very true. But it's about the geographical perception of it. So that's important to always keep in mind when we talk about liminal animals. Here in the West, we don't often have an elephant walk through our backyard. We may see some bears, we may see moose, uh, depending where you are, but. Generally, if you would see an elephant in the backyard, you'd be a one's escaped from the zoo. We don't know what happened for sure. <laughs> We're like, where did you come from? So this is always good to keep in mind. Like they're all over the world. Liminal animals are different animal species. So could you sum it up as saying liminal animals are animals that are close to your environment? Exactly. They are in our living environment, mm-hmm. but not accepted but not or not directly with with us. Yeah. And the, yeah, that's the biggest thing. So that's what I research. I here in the Western culture, we conceive most liminal animals very, very negatively. A lot of liminal animals are not welcome within our society. And when I grew up, I grew up with a whole different experience on uh, that. We would in the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. So the Netherlands not necessarily is. Uh, we're leading in the animal rights aspect in right. a sense that we have actually we have a political party animals we have yeah we have a recognized political party in senate they have a lot of seats 
they have seven seats right now, so they're actually doing really well. So that means they've got at least about 200,000, 300,000 votes. That's great. In a small country, yes. that's fantastic. Because yes. <laughs> we do have to keep in mind, in the Netherlands, we don't have as many people living there as <laughs> we have here in North America, for sure. So it's really important. Like We do a lot of good things, and they manage to pass a lot of laws for the protection of animals. But generally, even their little animals are not treated that well. And you can mm. see it a lot in our use of poison. We use a lot right. of poison to get rid of animals, and we right. often don't think about the consequences. Yeah, good point. Well, it's interesting because I love my backyard because I've got a little bit of a woods next to me, and I know everyone says they're rodents, but I love my chipmunks and squirrels running around the backyard and up the trees and making little nests and things. I love watching them all the time. And everyone said, well, they're, they're just a nuisance. I said, no, they're not. They're fascinating. Right, and that that's the beauty of it. So, mm. like, to me, too, so I grew up with my grandfather when... In the Netherlands, we eat a lot of cheese. Um, we're, we're big cheese lovers. Yes, we you make are. good cheese. <laughs> you make excellent cheese. <laughs> we love the cheese. <laughs> and every time, and I, we used to go there for lunch every day. After school, during school, we would go there for lunch. And my grandfather would slice extra cheese slices for the mice. Right. And after lunch, we were allowed to go into the greenhouse because they had a greenhouse in the backyard. And we left the cheese slices for the mice. And the mice would come out and eat right in front of us. Because they were it. so used to it. Love it. And that's how I grew up with them. We never put out poison. We never moved mm. any of them. They, everyone was welcome. They were even welcome in the house. They didn't care. And then once you get older and you see other perceptions of it and other perspectives, and everyone was like, no, like this is really bad. Like you can get sick from it. And it's terrible. And then over time, you're like, oh, okay. I never got sick. Right. I don't know anyone who got sick. Well, you, you build up an immunity of certain things as well, right? Oh, for sure. But not only that, like, mice are often thought of as carrying very deadly virus. And rats are thought of as carrying the plague. Like, the first thing people think about is, like, rats are equal to the plague. Yet, we don't have the plague here. No. We have plenty of rats. And Alberta is even more impressive because Alberta has a policy of having zero rats. Right, right. That's hilarious how all that works. Yeah. But that's because they have a policy in place for it. They do not allow any rats to live within the province. So any rat that ever crosses the border from any way is immediately removed. And this removal is done to extreme means. Right. And and that's that's what I research. So what I really research is why is it that for some communities and cultural communities we accept animals, liminal animals, mm-hmm. and why are others taking such extreme measures? And what is the underlying factors that caused it? That caused it. Yeah. yeah. Which um, is so crazy. Yeah. Why does yeah Why does one community say no no problem and another one get uh, get rid of it? Exactly. And even within society. So we, for example, would like the squirrels in our yard. I built a picnic table for the squirrels in our yard. Uh, we have a picnic table attached to our tree stem. And they eat peanuts from it. They love it. The children love it. Everyone comes by and watches it. But then as soon as squirrels in their yard, they're wrong. So can I ask a question? Because in the beginning you talked about the obvious ones, like you said, the foxes and the rabbits and and, uh, squirrels and things. You also mentioned birds. So what about, and I'm probably going too far, our little insects like ants and things, where we have an ant infestation and things. Are they considered under the liminal scheme or not? 
Yeah, for sure. But it depends, obviously, on the location where they are. So there are certain places in the world where we have ants that build ginormous anthills. Mm-hmm. But they're not necessarily in your backyard. No. They're not necessarily within the human environment. Right. So this distinction of linoleum is very human-made, right? Like, it depends on where in the context of the human environment right. they are. And, and that doesn't mean that we're fixed, separate environments. We're very much a mixed environment. But we're often perceiving it as nature versus culture. Like, the animal is there, yeah. and some animals are welcomed in. Like, we have dogs. The dogs are allowed, but the dogs are only allowed off-leash in designated areas. Good point, yes. And then they're only allowed to behave in certain ways, and if they behave in any other way than those ways, they're bad dogs. They're bad dogs. Mm-hmm. Rather than that, we possibly look at bad owners. Correct, <laughs> which is more likely the, the way to go. So many times, and yeah. that's it. But we judge the animals for it. And that we have certain perceptions of how they should behave right? and what they should do. Right. So ants, for example, insects are a great example of this because beetles, for example, in we have dung beetles. And dung mm-hmm. beetles are always thought of as, well, dung. It's like, bleh. It's like nasty. Right. Like they they live on poop. And especially if you grow up in a country like I did. Like yeah. if you go and look at cow poop, there's a lot of insects. And we always think of them as disgusting. Like but they're they're they horse have, they have and <laughs> They have a place, but even more, it's a cultural perception that we think of them as nasty. We often think as fruit flies. They're like nasty. Mm-hmm. They also land on poop. So flu- flies are very nasty. Like they right. shouldn't touch your food. But then when you look in Japan, culturally, beetles are perceived as fantastic. Right. Like children collect them and they're called, like they're heroes to them. They're beetles and they they breed them. They live with them. They have them as their pets. Right. But if I bring a beetle right now to a child or at an elementary school okay. everybody's gonna be like what What's were you thinking on? yeah kind of like the only ones they don't mind is caterpillars because they're going to grow into a beautiful little butterfly or something yeah. like that but then as soon as they turn into moths we try to kill them yes good point so like mm-hmm. there's such a weird distinction to how we look at animals and, and it's so biased why is it important to look at this i mean because clearly like you've already mentioned the fact that western societies perceive some animals as very differently to say some of the asian cultures and africa and why is it important to understand a human's perception the main reason it's important and at least it's important to me is because i believe that we can coexist i don't believe it's necessary to kill the amount of animals that we are killing Mm -hmm. and it's definitely not necessary to cause the amount of harm we're doing and that's not only to animals that's to nature in general so this is an overarching perspective i had it too when i did the immigration studies i worked with refugees and my main problem there was that the treatment the inhumane treatment that we did yeah and the same is here with animals it's based on biases it's based on stigma it's based on these negative perceptions that we treat others poorly and i could have moved this research almost (laughs) in any direction it's just i'm personally very interested in animals Mm -hmm. and i believe animals are very underrepresented and poorly treated yeah basically so it's important to see where does that poor treatment come from and within the field of animal studies there have been a lot of arguments made and a lot of arguments have been made why animals should be treated right yes and and that's a lot of research has been done about but then the question is like what does that look like and that's this whole new field that's Mm -hmm. coming and there's a lot more written about that for domestic animals we have a lot of books saying this is how you should treat a dog this right. is how you should be with a cat. This is how your home is most friendly for. We have a lot of different ways that we're starting to look at it. And they're in no way perfect. There's a lot of debate on it. We can do a lot of things with it. But there's almost nothing been written about liminal animals. Right, right. And we live so much with them. We have books to recognize them. 
I can tell you what a robin is or a chickadee or a blue jay. But how I interact with them, what food is actually good for them, how terrible our windows are. If you walk through Kingston at 5.30 in the morning, and I recommend don't do it because it's sad, but (laughs) if you walk through Kingston 5.30 in the morning downtown, you'll notice there's always some dead birds on the sidewalk. And last year when I was teaching a class, we did it with students. We went there with a couple of us in the morning just to see how many birds we would find. And we actually found quite a lot of dead birds. We found 18 dead birds in total uh-huh. just with our one morning walk. And it's because we don't build our environment. Right. So what, they're going into the windows? They all flew into the windows. Yeah. And it's poorly reflective glass. It's mm-hmm. the wrong height. So it's important to look at it. It's important to look what can we do to make this world a place where we can all live. Well, that's a great example, actually, because we've had someone on before talking about, you know, the dotty film that you can put on your windows yeah. to stop the, the birds right flying in and of course we've got a few here on campus where where they've been testing to see yep. if it's reduced the number of birds that have been killed because of flying into a window so one thing is being stunned but then they're flying fast <laughs> well that's yeah. just it and, and there's a lot of different things you can do because there's been this whole research done as well that if you have those windmills and we have them a lot where, yes. we're in the Netherlands where I'm from and one of the things they found out is that because of the speed of the windmills bats would often fly into them because their sonar would not bounce off properly with it. Oh, I see. So right. the rotation right. always went wrong. So mm-hmm. a lot of bats would die from sonar. But bats are very important for our ecosystem. Yeah, they eat all those little bugs. Oh, God, yeah. And, and we don't like them. No. <laughs> so we're <laughs> but back there But again. that's a natural way of doing it as opposed to... Exactly. I mean, that's a natural cycle. Yeah, and, then, and that's part of nature. Mm-hmm. But they noticed that if you put a specific like little radar sound on it, it would immediately, it would be fine. Okay. So there's little tweaks and little things we can do in our environment that are not costly for mm-hmm. humans because that's always a counter. It's like, so why is it that the cultural side plays an important role? And is it possible that there are other factors that contribute to our understanding of animals? Because, I mean, I guess in the way you're trying to say, how can we live with these other animals? Yeah, for sure. So... Again, this goes back a little bit through the theory, but much more to a practical. Remember when there were those videos going around of snakes that people put down behind cats and there were fake snakes? So there oh, were, were cucumbers. Oh. So people put cucumbers down behind cats and cats would think they were snakes. Oh. So the cats would jump and people thought it was really funny. But what this shows is that we have also, aside from cultural, we have an ingrained biological and psychological reaction to certain animals right there are certain parts of animals and they have this a to protect themselves because if we if every animal was fuzzy and cute we would try to pet it constantly yes, yes. so maybe it's good they're not all yes. fuzzy and cute. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so there's all these other factors as well that are important to look at the one thing that stands out though is that even though we all have those biological innate features we still treat them differently So there are certain factors that are important that we shouldn't discount them completely. And we will always look at it, but there's one thing that really stands out, and that's that the cultural perception, the way we grow up Mm -hmm. and we are being raised about animals, it really goes through. So a lot of research that I've done in elementary schools was really to show how kids up until they're about 8 to 10 actually almost love every animal. Yeah, There are certain animals they're a little bit scared of, Sometimes they have individual biases, but generally children love animals. Yeah. Except for when they have really scared parents. Oftentimes that's when children are also really scared. Right. 
And also, what you notice is once they hit the age of about 10 to 11, we change the curriculum. So we start to look way more at the biology. We start to teach them about like people that have been eaten oh, right. by lions and right. how we are fighting off this natural world and how we as humans. And suddenly you see also within the research, but talk to your cousin, talk to anyone, your nephew, mm-hmm. whatever. Talk to your nephew and you see how much there is this change in right. them and how much that's enforced. It's, it's socially learned. Right, right. Which is why it's so important to look at that. You bring up a, a, a really good point there of, of a, for instance, a child growing up and we're learning a lot more these days about Indigenous ways of knowing and things and, and their, their teachings are very much being humans are part of the whole, na- whole of the natural world. Uh, we're just one element of it. And what what do we need to do to fit into that natural world? And they're always told that, you know, having these animals and the fish and the birds and um, the ecology is really, really important. And if we don't play our part, we're going to upset the balance of it all. Yeah. And so the kids there have been brought up, yeah, every animal has its unique reason and a need to be in that particular environment. And you may go fishing and hunting, but it's only enough to help your family grow. It's not gluttony. You don't go over because then you're breaking that balance. Yeah, exactly. And and this role, indeed, what you say of storytelling. Storytelling mm-hmm. is so important. And not only in uh, the perspective of how children are growing up, but also for parents and for grandparents to reiterate stories. Because we often get raised as children, too, with certain stories. I remember stories from my grandmother, uh, and they were mainly Indonesian stories, just right. because of our, our background. Right, yes. mm-hmm. But there were a lot of stories about a spider, Anansi. And all these stories I still have with me. But as soon as you become older, people will never talk about Anansi anymore. Right. But if right. you bring it up later, everyone remembers. They're like, oh, that was the story of the friendly spider. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and, and, and those stories come back but storytelling as it's often still practiced by other cultures is so strong because it repeats these stories and it keeps the story going and they change over time right. like little bits and between communities certain stories are different but I think that's a problem though these days if you don't mind me saying so is that there's not enough storytelling going on anymore because in today's society everyone's got their face looking into a mobile phone or a laptop or you know ipad or something like that and so they're not they're not hearing the stories like we used to we used to sit down and tell stories all the time yeah for sure and that's a really big part of it so even if and and people have looked at the ways that social media could become more involved for example in restarting storytelling but just in a different environment but there seems to be such an important part of being together of Mm -hmm. actively right being together about having these relations because on our phones and on our tablets and we all do it we all have phones we all grow up we we have them now i was lucky enough also to grow up without it still and then when i was 18 suddenly phones were a thing so everyone was like who has a phone i had the first brick (laughs) you really had the real one (laughs) (laughs) i did you had to have a you know a trolley to carry it around oh my they were massive they were they were so massive and i remember when i got a nokia and that was the Mm -hmm. dream because they could smash but they could fit in a pocket and it was gold (laughs) but they really yeah they really looked at how we can use those technologies as well to have people interact more and especially children children now grow up in an environment they learn to write on blackboards Mm -hmm. and they type and they will still write with pen and paper as well but it's differently and and 
we also need to keep that in mind that that's that catering but we need to set aside i think those times that we sit down and just spend time together because we can't learn from our environment by not being with it right well exactly if we all live in this little bubble on our phone and we're all getting stuck in these own worlds we're not getting anywhere yeah no right Okay, so with all of that, because I've probably gone a little bit off topic for you in, in your own actual research, so what are some of the key findings um, that you've found so far? Because clearly you're going to be writing these up. And how can they influence the future of human-animal relations? Yeah, so it's actually it's great that you asked that because I finished that chapter today, oh. this morning, which was a great <laughs> well, was way fortuitous. of going into here. <laughs> Uh, it will be tweaks at all. It is also in no way any way to get them to finish their chapters. <laughs> it's like we're going to write this out. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, it's luckily not about. I had it written out, and then you rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. <laughs> For the findings, there are basically three things that really stand out. And the first one is acknowledging that we share a space. Right. This acknowledgement yes. is not only of saying it out loud, like. Hi, I'm here in a room with my dog, Jay. So right. we are both occupying. No, it means that everything in the world. The indigenous cosmologists you were talking about earlier as yeah. well and the pedagogy of storytelling. It's so important to recognize that we as humans are not this upper mighty people. And this is a very colonial thought. It's a thought True. we really have enforced. Me as a European, I cannot thank my ancestors for that one. We have done a lot of problematic things, and especially the way we brought in viewpoints mm-hmm. have really set in stone this otherization of it's humans versus animals, but also within humans, how we have certain humans that are perceived as better than others. Yeah, And that's mm-hmm. the case within animals as well. We perceive certain animals as better animals than other animals. We're very right. good in categorizing everything, and it's very much this colonial thought of how we really perceive like mm-hmm. one was better than the other. And this is what you can find in this space-place dynamic. That's how it's called often in literature. And it's how we have a space and how we give things, beings, a place within it. Right. So oftentimes we say, no, the animal belongs there. Or the non-white person belongs there. Right. Which is a whole other topic. But (laughs) we're very good in trying to create those dynamics of one belongs here, one belongs there, and... Never twain shall meet. Oh, we we are good at that. (laughs) And so often what you see in when you look at other cultures is that this understanding is very different. And one of those case studies that I encountered personally as well, and luckily also in the literature, before I always have to narrate my own stories, (laughs) (laughs) which is great as a researcher, it's great to have your own stories until Until. you need evidence. Yes. You're like, well, I was lucky enough to spend quite a bit of my life in Romania as well. Okay. And in Romania, there's a large population of bears. There's a large population of black and brown bears. And there are certain communities in Romania and in Bulgaria that live very peacefully together with these bears. The bears come through the village. There's no repercussion for it. And sometimes the bears will kill one of the sheep or one of the flock. And they're not happy with it, but there's an understanding. Right. And mm-hmm. the general story when you talk with people there is that it's okay for the bears to be there because it's their place. It's their space. Right. And that's not to say it's not our human space as well, but it's to say to acknowledge that we are all here. Right. And as such, whereas we're here in in the Western culture, we're very good at, okay, animal went in, caused a problem, we shoot it. Yeah, get rid of it. Oh, yeah. we're so, the first reaction, 
in the Netherlands, we currently have wolves that are self-reintroduced. Ah, right. <laughs> they managed to come all the way from Poland and they came into the Netherlands. And so slowly, slowly, the population has been growing in the last five years. This is a very recent right. progress. And then suddenly some sheep died. So the wolf. This right. was all the big bad wolf. Right. And immediately there's a story. We only have five wolves in the Netherlands. So we, we that what a great manhunt this was. Luckily, they didn't kill the wolves. Right. Uh, there were people that stepped in. But there is immediately that reaction. And the beauty of recognizing the space and the place was that people didn't have those same reactions. Right. Mm-hmm. They're really good in recognizing this. And it was really interesting to see that, to, to experience it, but also to talk with people who have such a different understanding yeah. of what your environment is. Right. Instead of that, we need to have this driveway right there. Everything in the way goes away. Or that we need to clear this forest because we need right. it for something. Like there's an understanding of like, but this has its space and place as well. And we humans don't always need to take over. Right. Good Most point. of the times, actually, we don't. <laughs> yeah, the majority of the times, we don't need to. Uh, so yeah. We can live, we can coexist. We can definitely coexist. And the other thing that really stood out within the case studies is that we need to recognize that animals are not just things. Mm-hmm. Animals are actually living beings yes. that have emotions and we're starting to get there more and more. People are definitely recognizing it more in domestic right. animals, and especially dogs. People can have very strong relationship with dogs and with cats. Yeah, we're less good in having strong relationships of emotional relationship with goldfish yeah. or animals with who we less directly interact normally. We're like, no, 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 like this is not sentient. It's not a sentient being. But we need to recognize the sentiency of all animals. Mm-hmm. And you can really tell with cultures where human and liminal animals coexist is that there's much more recognition of this sentiency. So it's not only a thing that also occupies space, it's a sentient living being. Right. With emotions, with a life, they're not just mechanic processes. Yeah. And and this is in the Western world very recent. Up until two hundred years ago, we would do life autopsies. An autopsy I think is only when the animal's dead. We would open up dogs in public market squares in Europe and here in North America just to demonstrate that they were fake. That's horrible. And people would pull the muscles and say, see, if I pull this muscle, this sound comes. And if I pull this, then this. So basically, they did that to show that they were a robot. Oh, that's they horrible. They were pre-programmed. Oh, it was terrible. It was disgu- Yeah, it was disgusting. But luckily, we're getting past that point, at least with dogs. Right. <laughs> that's not to say we're doing great with all animals. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of animals on which we experiment whether it's for medication or just for makeup. Right, yeah. And we can have a debate about when it is important enough to experiment. But there's also still within just our general world, we're very Mm. good at just hitting that spider. Just squish it. Well, see, I can't do that because I don't like killing. I don't like spiders, but I can't do it, so I get a friend to take it outside. Yeah, and that would be a normal, good reaction. Even if you don't want it there, there's no need to kill. Yeah right away and and that's that distinction that we often make and especially with raccoons we're very good in trying to get rid of raccoons we don't do this in a friendly way mm-hmm. we leave a lot of poison right um, with squirrels we do the same we had it for a while in the area where i lived here in kingston that someone would put out hot dogs with rat poison in it oh that's horrible oh yeah and they, they didn't care what they killed with it as long as animals anyone would just, anyone could have little dogs could yeah. have died from it cats feral cats and and that's the thing. Like people just don't want to think about the consequences for those either. Mm-hmm. 
Well, hopefully by the time uh, you finished your research, I mean, you, you brought up some really good points. And that's, and it's not uh, rocket science, really, is it? I mean, it's a lot of it is common sense of, you know, how do we fit into this world? Yeah, and I'm, um, I'm glad. And how do we make yeah, it last? For sure. And I'm glad you bring it up as common sense because for so many people it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's always so beautiful. I always love talking to people and sometimes like now we find someone and they're like, no, that makes sense. A lot of times you actually get the reaction. Why? Yeah, who why cares do you care? Who cares? Yeah. Why, why, why? I don't want the mouse in my house. I want the rats to go. I remember my neighbors had a rat in their house and it was stuck in the toilet. So their solution was to pour bleach in it. Oh no. So they poured bleach That's in the so toilet. Inhumane. And then the rat drowned in it. Yeah. They could have just taken it out. Yeah. They now call me. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> that probably me. That that would be, I'll yeah. be calling someone. And, and that's it. Can you get rid of this for me, please? Right. In a nice way. Yeah. But so many people mm-hmm. don't think of it as common sense, and that's mm. why it's still so important. We've certainly got to change our mindset, don't we, on on a lot of things, as with more technologies and taking up more space and everything like that. I mean, Absolutely. there are consequences to all of that, which yep. we're seeing, and unfortunately, it's the animals that are copying it. No, absolutely. More often than not. Well, that was, I don't, it was, it was exciting, but depressing as well at the same time. And so let's end on a really happy note. (laughs) Yes, let's do that. (laughs) Because we're way over time. You, in your extracurriculars, you're building beaver-friendly mountain bike trails. Yes. Tell me about that. This is the positive side of my research. So for as much of the negativity of how poorly we treat animals, Mm -hmm. there is change taking place. Right. And the current project that we're doing here in Kingston is actually a brilliant example of it. So Kingston has a large mountain bike club. It has 1,800 members. It's just north of town in Glen Burnie. Right. Absolutely brilliant trails for anyone who likes mountain biking. <laughs> I recommend. But for the last 20 years, they also shared the property and the landscape with beavers. And the brilliant right. thing with beavers is that they flood places. Yes. Because that's the inherent thing. If you build a dam... The other side of the dam will fill up with water. Yes. <laughs> and they love doing it. It's it's what they do. Um, they do it for their protection because if they're in the middle of the water, they're not as much a prey to wolves, which is their mm-hmm. natural predator here, or to other animals, dogs even, or human hunters. Right. So it's very, like, they will build that dam. Try to stop a beaver. It's not easy. So after 20 years of killing the beavers... They decided, okay, maybe <laughs> this actually is not working. If for 20 years you keep trying to kill an animal and the animal comes back, at some yeah. point you got to accept defeat. Yeah. Maybe the first kill should have not have happened, but definitely the 20-year one. Right. You're done. So uh, I accidentally reached out because I had a different question about the landscape there. I used to go and walk Jay there because it's a beautiful area. And I'd reached out. I'm like, oh, it's really nice. You guys have trails here next to beavers and how has that been going for you? Because, like, this is my research, and I find it fascinating that you guys are here. Like, well, actually, we've been killing them all this time, but if you have a better solution, <laughs> we'll all take right. it. So that's how it started, and that was two and a half, three years ago now. Fantastic. And we started building better ways. So instead of destroying the dams and killing the beavers, we actually built the systems that are called bafflers. So bafflers are pipes that go through the dam and will still lever the water and make sure that the water level stays at the same height so that right. beavers don't think they constantly need to rebuild right. and remove, whereas we can protect the trail. Yes. Which means also that if we elevate trails to a certain height, we won't have problems with it. 
and we can also build bridges over the beaver dams and that saves makes, so much trouble makes so much sense and they're doing that in other parts of the world too with you know tunnels for animals to get from one side of yeah. the highway to the other so they're not getting roadkill this is another great example of how we can coexist we can still have our fun but we're not destroying absolutely the and giving them a chance to still survive yeah and it's been very interesting because for my fun i put up drill cameras just because i like to see how how the environment interacted also to make sure that if hunters or trappers mm-hmm. came that i know what was happening but it's very fun to see that ever since we started this project, how more positive people have gotten. So they have a Facebook page. Right. You can always, people post mainly about like, is the trail open? I lost my water ball. Has anyone seen it? But it's been fantastic to see how many more people are posting videos of the beavers they see on the trail. Fantastic. And it's great. Like people Loving are it. much more engaging with it. They're aware of what's going on. They also know the beavers are not malicious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is a good thing to know. Beavers generally are really not malicious. No. And it no. makes it so much nicer to be there. Well, I'm really glad you've done that. And that's a really, like you said, that's a nice positive outcome for something that could have been disastrous for the Absolutely. beaver population. And now we can all enjoy uh, seeing the beavers if we go along on those trails. So, Daphne, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome. Very easy. Once Sometimes I read these things and I go, oh, God, how can I make that exciting? <laughs> and think. But this is, this is really good. And I think a lot of people can... Um, take a lot from it so thank you very much for sharing that and doing the research on this area yeah wonderful and thank you for having me here for sure you are very great. welcome okay so as i say each week that's another week of grad chat sadly coming to an end so don't forget you can load this show tomorrow from either itunes google Podcasts, spotify or stitcher just type in grad chat until next week this is cj the dj signing off with a big hooray Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.